Let us pray. Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding that being taught by you and Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to receive all that leads to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Listen for the word of the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their guide, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Listen again to God's word for us. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. He said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him saying, Grant me justice against my adversary. For a while, the judge refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God or respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming to me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Lord, the preaching of your word with the blessing of your spirit, grant that insofar as it is true to your everlasting goodness, it shall be undergirded by your power and by your love. Grant that insofar as it is false, it shall be swiftly forgotten and do no harm through Christ our Lord. Amen. The core message of the parable Jesus gives us this morning is encouragement for his disciples to not lose heart in the face of suffering and injustice and injustice, but rather to continue praying for and seeking God's justice in this world unto the kingdom come, the return of the Son of Man, the return of Jesus, the resurrection and the awakening to God's full new creation. 
when every wrong will be made right, every injustice undone, every tear wiped away, when, as our passage from Jeremiah this morning also proclaims, God's law will be written on our hearts and our minds to such an extent that we won't even have to teach one another about God because the love of God and neighbor will just naturally pour out of us every thought, every feeling, every desire, every action as we live in harmony with our Lord, each other, and the rest of creation. It is a beautiful, life-giving vision and promise that we have in and through Christ. As we know all too well, though, this is not the state that we are in now. Sin leads us as individuals, as communities, as nations, to miss the mark of God's goodness and glory. Sin leads us as individuals, communities, and nations to all too easily idolize things like power, property, security, pleasure, popularity, prestige, none of which are bad things in themselves, but become twisted, idolized when we seek them without regard to God and for God and without regard to and for our neighbors, when we seek them as though they are our ultimate goods. They become idols when we treat them as though they are worth more than God, our creator, when we treat them as though they're worth more than our neighbors, our sisters, and our brothers, when we fail to realize that the purpose of those things like power or property or security, pleasure, popularity, prestige, is always and only to show and grow the love of God and of our neighbors as ourselves. And as we know as well, when we sin, people get hurt. The good things of this world get destroyed, smashed, family and friendships broken, communities, homes, businesses shattered. People get treated unjustly. In his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, Howard Thurman talks of these all too frequent situations in which people, quote, stand with their backs against the wall subject to daily threat of abuse, humiliation, exploitation, violence. And the prophet Habakkuk famously captured these kind of situations viscerally and timelessly when he cried out to God, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous, and therefore judgment comes forth perverted. This is the kind of scene that Jesus evokes in the parable we heard this morning with the widow seeking justice. Widows alongside orphans and strangers were particularly vulnerable to mistreatment in the ancient society of Jesus' day. Orphans, widows, and strangers, as folks probably remember, were the three groups that God explicitly uplifted in the Old Testament for particular care and concern. As Deuteronomy chapter 24 reads, Do not deprive the foreigner or the orphan of justice, or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Or as Exodus 22 says, Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the orphan, if you do. 
They will cry out to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. Now, precisely what justice entails and demands for the vulnerable and for anyone is, of course, something that folks have been debating about for millennia. But at its core, justice is a question of what is owed or due to a person. And while the answers to that question have shifted over the ages, there is a deeply scriptural argument to be made that because everybody is made in the image of God, with God-given gifts and capacities to develop in concert with others, what is owed, what is due everybody, is fair treatment and the genuine opportunity to develop their God-given image-bearing gifts in community with one another. Along these lines, uh, Leviticus 19 has a famous rendition of the kinds of things that are justly owed to our neighbors. And these are things that are justly owed not to do to our neighbors. When it proclaims, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not defraud or rob your neighbor, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Don't go about spreading slander among people. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. And just a few verses later in Leviticus 19 comes the famous command from God for everybody to love your neighbor as yourself. In the parable we heard this morning, the widow has been mistreated by somebody, and she was seeking justice, seeking for this person mistreating her to be stopped, held to account. We'll recall that parables are brief stories or illustrations that Jesus used to teach about loving God and our neighbors. And Jesus aimed parables not only at head knowledge, but also at folks at our hearts and our minds, our hearts and our hands, rather. Parables are meant to lead us, to lead people, to action. And the action that Jesus wanted his disciples to take with the parable we heard today was to pray always and to not lose heart, to be like the relentless widow, advocating persistently for justice, never giving up faith, hope, determination in that pursuit. Because even if an unjust judge would give in to the relentless widow's calls for justice, how much more will God, who is good, and righteous, hear our cries for justice and deliver that justice for us. Jesus was enjoining his disciples to keep praying in word and in participatory deed like that. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Keep praying, keep proclaiming, keep advocating, keep practicing the life-giving ways of God. Keep seeking the kingdom of God, calling down in word and in deed the reigning in-breaking kingdom of God. It will come. Jesus was calling for his disciples to have their eyes prayerfully set in word and in participatory deed on the horizon of God's coming kingdom, breaking like the dawn over what has been a deep night of sin and death. But there is a crucial thing for us to keep in mind at this point, too, because while they are connected, as we've been noting, there is often a painful gap 
a painful difference between the promised justice of the hereafter, the resurrection to come, and God's full kingdom come, and the justice here and now. Because we, as we await Christ's return, and even as we prayerfully work to lean into the life-giving ways of God here and now, we are all too familiar with the injustice and suffering that's happening daily all around us. Injustice and suffering more broadly. Y'all, these are two of the greatest stumbling blocks that folks have for having and keeping faith, for keeping heart. As I imagine many of you have experienced too, suffering can naggingly gnaw away at one's faith. One's trust that we're part of a good creation, that we're made in our creator's image to flourish, that we have a creator, that we have a savior, that the kingdom's coming. Suffering, whether it comes from, the mistreat, from, comes from mistreatment at the hands of another or simply from the inevitable vulnerability of our lives here and now to accident, illness, decline, death, it can naggingly gnaw away at us, at our faith. Why? Would a good, loving God in control of the world ever permit such suffering to occur? When faced with deep personal loss, whether it's sudden and searing or a dull, aching decline over time, that question of why is this happening becomes inescapable, breathtaking. But that question is also abidingly present in every headline that we read of the latest tragedy. Why, Lord? Why the sin and the death? Why this suffering? In his book, Born to Wonder, Alistair McGrath notes the kinds of deep questions that suffering raises about God and this existence of which we're a part. And McGrath highlights the importance of what he calls Christian spirituality in helping folks across the millennia carry on in this life amidst losses that cannot be fixed here and now. Helping folks somehow keep heart when it feels like your heart has been ripped out. Or perhaps more accurately at times, helping folks slowly regrow heart under God even after all heart and hope have seemingly been crushed by suffering. A core part of that Christian spirituality that McGrath is talking about is, of course, this persistent prayer that Jesus was encouraging his disciples to undertake, even when prayer can feel impossible, if not even futile in the face of sin and death. Prayers or faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, but it seems like most of us don't have faith the size of a mustard seed. That Christian spirituality, though, that can keep us going, it entails ongoing, relentless conversation with God. Even when God feels gone, even when God feels absent, missing, silent. Even when prayer entails unleashing questions and frustrations, as Habakkuk did. Calling for God to wake up and act like God, here and now. Those prayers of Christian spirituality, even when just searching for God in the midst of suffering, they also help provide an anchoring recognition of goodness 
in this world, even in the face of loss. Because ultimately, suffering is the loss of something or someone good. We suffer because we've lost something or someone good. Suffering is the shadow side of joy in many respects. Its depths mirror the heights of the goodness that was once in your life. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, loss of an ability with age or accident, loss of work, loss of a friendship, loss of health with an illness, the pain of those losses points to the reality and the robustness of the goodness that came before them. And while the truth of that fact, that suffering is the shadow side of joy, the truth of that fact that goodness was in one's life, and one knows that goodness remains in the world, well, that truth does not necessarily lessen the pain of the loss, nor does it explain why God would allow it. It does lead in my heart at least, to hold, lead me to hold on to the fact that there are things in this world that are so good, so wondrous in our lives. Family, friends, laughter, love, learning, truth, and beauty. Things that are so wondrous in our lives that they even give birth to an abiding sense that those good things, they're are anchored, they're rooted in an even deeper beauty, an even more enduring goodness, an even more elaborate and interwoven garment of reality than anything in this life alone could bear. Those good things in our life that we suffer when we lose, they testify to the fact that the roots, the roots, brothers and sisters of our reality, are good. They are the good creation of a God who loves us and made each one of us. And as such, no matter what, that goodness we have heart will sprout, will rise again in God's time. I don't know about you, but God's time often feels too far away for me. But I imagine for all of us, uh, when we think about the fact that creation itself could be billions of years old, a generation even is but a twinkling in the eye of eternity. And in persistent prayer, we are shaped to have the perspective of the grander picture and story of which we are all a part. As searing as our losses are now, we take heart that they are not permanent losses. We take heart especially that loved ones lost are simply gone from our sight for now. We take heart that the day of resurrection is coming. We take heart that we have work to do caring for and cultivating the good things of God's world in the meantime. We take heart with and for one another as we await and lean into the life-giving ways of God and the inbreaking dawning of God's kingdom come. 
To God be the glory for all these things, brothers and sisters, forever and ever. Amen.